everyone, and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David Walker, bringing you the first issue for February 2020, which is nonfiction. Uh, this is this is a genre we don't uh, get to publish that often, but um, it's it's one that I enjoy reading. Uh, it's it's especially good because when we when we get to uh, publish nonfiction, it's because it's so great. Um, it's, it's very easy to not write a good piece of nonfiction, um, and very difficult to, to, to write a good one. And so when it's, when it's done right, it's, it's amazing. And, uh, that's what we kind of have here from, uh, the writer Amanda K. Oaks, um, and, and her piece, Cooking for One. Uh, the title definitely, uh, does a good job of, of hinting at what this piece is about, um, but there are some pockets of, of joy and uh, just wonderful language in this essay. So I really hope you enjoy this piece. Uh, Amanda K. Oaks, Cooking for One. And uh, I made it through the intro without coughing. I'm, I'm proud of myself. Alrighty, hope you enjoy it. I'm Amanda K. Oaks, and this is Cooking for One. These days, food subscription ads flip across my social media scrolling. For the target demographic of unmarried 27-year-old women, the tagline is this. Cooking for one is depressing. Microwave this pre-prepared, more expensive food instead. Despite all the algorithms in the world, they've missed the mark with this one. I happen to be a devotee of the art of cooking for one. The year I graduated college and moved into the studio apartment on Morrison Avenue was the first year I'd ever truly lived alone. In college, I shared a campus apartment with a roommate, and we made it a point to cook dinner together every Sunday. Before this, I'd lived in the dorms and eaten in the dining hall, where it's impossible to be alone, even if you want to. And I didn't want to be the one sitting alone while other people looked at me with pity in their eyes. But here, between my own four walls, there was no one to look on and make a spectacle of my eating alone. So this was when I first fell in love with cooking for one. I'd moved in in August and by October, I was not only living alone, but also living alone as a single woman. I had a small kitchen with limited counter space, but for an efficiency apartment, it was massive. This is the primary reason I'd chosen the place. I'd been cooking since I was in middle school, taking the mantle from mom, and making family dinners the moment I was old enough to show the love for cooking she did not possess. Now, at last, I was really and truly cooking for one. The internet is a magical thing, but the lists of how to feed yourself as one solitary human being are few and far in between. Recipes for two are a common theme, and so I dug into the idea of cooking for two. The first person being me on that day the second being me at lunchtime tomorrow. I loved putting in the effort to feed myself healthy meals. For one, cooking filled the time when I was alone in my apartment. I could put on music and dance around my kitchen, prepping salads and roasted vegetables and all sorts of delicious things that only I would enjoy. Out of school for the first time in my life, there seemed to be so much time to fill, time that used to belong to doing homework. I needed a new hobby, 
And while I read voraciously from a self-made syllabus of recently released books that sounded interesting, there was only so much sitting still I could handle. And so I stood in the kitchen, arms deep in whatever concoction I'd found on Pinterest that week. Not long into my early months living alone, I chanced upon a two-week clean eating challenge with a daunting list of ingredients and pages upon pages of instructions for each recipe. And the best part? It was comprised entirely of meals for one. Eagerly, I printed out week one's ingredient list and drove to the Kroger around the corner for my supplies. Once I got there, I stood in front of the leafy green section of the store and realized just how many vegetables I'd never seen, much less prepared at home. While mom had always made sure to put something green on the table for us kids growing up, it was almost always from a can or a bag in the freezer. Mixed vegetables were a staple, as were frozen peas and green beans. Naturally, I inherited this perception of vegetables. I'd never seen Swiss chard or broccolini, let alone eaten it. I stood there, squinting at tiny labels and carefully gathering various leafy green things until my cart seemed fit to burst. It turns out that fresh vegetables can take up a lot of space. So much that it hardly looked like I was getting ready to buckle down and cook three meals a day for me, myself, and I for the next two weeks. It looked more like I was planning to feed a large village of hungry rabbits. As I wheeled my cart around, to finally leave the produce section and grab the few things I needed from elsewhere, something happened to me that had never happened before. A cute guy in the grocery store talked to me. I'm always in an exceptionally good mood at the grocery because I love food and I love shopping for food, so it's probably about the most approachable I ever look. I'd certainly had a few older men strike up random conversations with me, but being spoken to by a guy my own age was new. You really like vegetables, he said, eyeing my cart with a mischievous smile. I laughed and shrugged. I'm doing a clean eating thing, I said, which wasn't exactly not smooth, but probably wasn't what a seasoned flirt in the grocery store type would say. Suddenly anxious, I pushed on with my cart, ready to gather the rest of my goods. I smiled a little wider for the rest of the day, though. When you're truly, deeply single in the no dating apps and no casual hookup sense, you take what you can get in terms of interaction with hot guys. Once I got my massive cart full of green things home, the gravity of what I'd taken on sunk in with me. I spent well over an hour just prepping the things I needed to begin the next day's schedule. And while day one's list of meals sounded absolutely delicious, they also sounded like an absolute fuck ton of work. My fridge was bursting with well over $200 worth of ingredients though, so I couldn't turn back now. For the next two weeks, I lived in my kitchen. I chopped veggies and stewed chili. I pulled out the blender, which my mother referred to exclusively as the margarita maker, to make spinach muffins and riced cauliflower. Parts of me were sore that I didn't even know could be involved in the art of cooking. But at the same time, I felt amazing. Here I was, a single woman in her early 20s, taking damn good care of myself. The myth of domesticity involves a woman in an apron, slaving away at the stove so consistently that, though she places heaping meals in front of the family, she never has time to sit and enjoy the full meal herself. But me? When the cauliflower was riced and cooked, the crockpot salsa verde chicken and steamed Swiss chard beside it, I sat down at my tiny table for two and ate the fruits of my labor all alone, and it was perfect. 
I couldn't possibly sustain clean eating challenge levels of cooking for the duration of my two years living alone. For one, all of these clean green ingredients went well above my AmeriCorps food stamp budget. Two, I had not only a well over 40 hour work week at my service site, but I also had something else that was new to me, a raging social life. The two weeks of clean eating had involved some necessary cheat days as I went with friends to Arlen's, the bar down the street, or out to meet old friends from high school in our old chain restaurant haunts like Applebee's and Buffalo Wild Wings. Those moments of sitting in my efficiency apartment alone, the meal I had cooked for myself on a plate propped against the arm of my green Ikea couch, were my moments of peace and quiet. Moments that instilled my insistence that cooking for one doesn't have to be the depressing thing we make it out to be. In fact, it's one of the best parts of my day. That's not to say that living as a single person is all skipping through a field of cauliflower rice and dancing to Usher while your spinach muffins bake. There would be nights over the course of those two years when I fell, when I felt the deep, insistent ache of loneliness when my body cried out in confusion about how long it had been since the simplest of touches, a hand on the arm, a hug. Since I lived in a college town, I had a simple solution for these problems. I placed an online order with Insomnia Cookie and 15 to 30 minutes later, ran down to grab a box full of fresh brownies and cookies from a delivery man who gave me a knowing smile. We both knew that I, in my baggy sweatpants and three-day-old sleep t-shirt, did not have people over. I don't know what his other deliveries looked like, perhaps raging parties or groups of college kids studying together, something I had never experienced during my own undergraduate years. But I liked feeling like I'd locked onto something special, that I alone understood the utter pleasure of eating and cooking alone. So it needles me when I scroll past those ads or hear jokes on TV about how depressing it is to cook for one. Not long ago, a friend of mine, recently divorced, bemoaned the sense of going to so much effort just for oneself. But that's the point, I thought. You should put so much effort in for just yourself. When I left the studio on Morrison and moved to Pittsburgh, I no longer lived alone, but continued to cook for myself. Because my roommate and I met through our graduate program, we hadn't started out friends, and we never became such. She remained shut in her room, a mysterious presence leaving messes in my beloved kitchen. And I remained, for all intents and purposes, a single woman in her 20s, living more or less alone. Some weekends, I'd fill the time between homework assignments by baking entire loaves of bread for myself, using the Dutch oven an ex-boyfriend had bought me for Christmas, which I'd never used to cook anything for him since we'd broken up shortly after. I'd fill that beautiful blue cast iron pot with curries, chilies, and stews, and think about how lucky I was to finally own this coveted piece of kitchen equipment, which had been well outside the budget of someone heading into a year of grad school off a two-year stint below the poverty level thanks to AmeriCorps. At the same time, there was a melancholy to my cooking for one this time that hadn't been there before. Back home in Cincinnati, a young AmeriCorps member cooking for herself on weeknights while running around with her massive group of friends all weekend, I'd been alone by choice in more ways than one. I hadn't been using dating apps because I liked being single. I had a friend to flirt with and girls to drink wine and gossip with. Here in Pittsburgh, I was a different woman. For starters, I was in mourning. 
The college boyfriend I'd broken up with shortly after moving to Cincinnati had died unexpectedly that summer. Months of that year were swallowed up in sorrow and disbelief. I had once stood in the kitchen for hours, baking him a homemade birthday cake from scratch. I'd driven four hours to visit him, forgetting that my old Honda didn't have air conditioning and the cake would surely not survive. He'd eaten it anyway, the icing all melted and lopsided. Happy birthday, Nathan, barely legible. Now, cooking for one felt hollow in a way it hadn't before. It would take a while for me to knead and chop and simmer my way back to a sense of joy in the kitchen. I baked for myself, cooked for myself, froze extra servings of clean eating turkey chili for myself, and I hated every solitary moment of it, curling up in the twin bed alone at night, night and crying myself to sleep. When I was single and the first guy I'd loved was out there living his life, there'd always been a chance that one day we'd find our way back to one another. When I was a little bit less selfish and he was a little bit less religious, maybe our love could survive in a way it hadn't before. It was a silly, childish belief, but it had sustained me over those two years of being single more than I'd realized. Now, that hope was dead, and I couldn't imagine a future where I was married to anyone else. Now, cooking for one was a tunnel straight through the rest of my life. At times, it was terrifying, the repetitive motion of making meal after meal just for me. Those were the early months in a new city. The early months as someone who has, for the first time in her young life, experienced loss. Those were the months before I made friends with other MFA students in my cohort, before I spent every Thursday night eating wings and drinking rum and coke with my classmates, full years before I would meet my boyfriend and learn that I could, in fact, fall in love again. The months before my alone time became, once again, something rare and coveted. When the first year was up, I moved out of the apartment with the girl who never became more than a stranger and into a new home with my best friend in the program. And then a week later, a massive breakup resulted in our third friend living on the couch. For the first time in my adult life, I flexed an old atrophy cooking muscle. I cooked for more than one. At first, I loved it. Packing up the second serving of the stir fry I made at least once a week, which normally took care of my lunch at work for two days, I felt like a good friend, like I was taking care of someone. Maybe some part of me even felt a little bit maternal? Except that the next day, that meant I had to make myself a new lunch. I missed my leftovers. I loved cooking for others, sometimes, but I'd gotten very used to cooking only for myself, so when the food disappeared more quickly than I was used to, it kind of pissed me off. Sure, when I made an extra large vat of spaghetti for us all to share, that was one thing. A girl can only eat so much spaghetti. But my meals for two recipes were meant to feed me and then me tomorrow. And I realized I didn't know how to share a fridge and a pantry with a man. I realized that maybe I didn't want to. It was the first time I'd gotten an inkling of what it might be like to move in with a partner someday, something I'd longed for and hoped for desperately in the past. Sure, it would be different when I was dating the person who was eating part two of my meals for two, but my perspective changed nonetheless. All those alleged stereotypical benefits of having a man around were things I'd learned to do myself. I changed the light bulbs. I built the shoe racks and the bookcases. I knew how to reset a blown fuse and put air in my tires. I didn't need this male presence in my home, and I wasn't quite sure what to do with it. 
Soon enough, my friend moved off our couch back into a house of his own where he'd have his own room again, and I breathed a sigh of relief. I loved him a great deal, but I was happy to have my two serving meals feeding me and me again. Now, I spend at least two nights of the week cooking for two once again, a collaborative effort this time. Andy and I working together in the kitchen to create a meal we share. Sometimes he's even the one who cooks for me. Nearly a year into being not single, I'm still learning how to navigate the shared time, shared space of a relationship. The truth is, cooking for one isn't the single ladies only activity it's cracked up to be. I still prep meals for lunches alone, eat breakfast alone, and many nights, yes, enjoy dinner alone. But as I reflect on how this will continue to grow and shift throughout my life, I remember what I learned during the times when I didn't know when I'd have any option to cook, but to cook for one. And it's this. For the single among us, the days and months and years of cooking for one might be temporary. You can tell it to yourself one of two ways. You can think, someday I will not have to curl up in bed after a night of drinking and cry because I just want someone to hold me. But remember that someday too, you might not get to come home every night and cook a meal for one. Someday maybe your single life will be good and well behind you. And for now, as I dance barefoot in the kitchen, prepping breakfast sandwiches for the week, sandwiches that will disappear from the freezer at exactly the rate I expect them to, I realize that for all the joys and pleasures of one day moving in with a partner, there will be something to mourn in that loss too, something worth missing. There will be the feeling of being content, really and truly, with my own company and the food I've made for myself. So I wrote this piece as part of my MFA thesis, a collection of essays called How to Tell a Love Story, that really looks at the different messages that we receive from pop culture and how those narratives influence the way that we human beings behave in relationships, both romantic relationships, relationships to ourselves, the relationships to other people. So cooking for one, I was trying to think, how am I going to end this collection that's really about me, the narrator, struggling with what it means to be a single woman when all of these messages are telling me that it's bad to be a single woman and that it's sad and lonely and full of cats and, and all of these messages we receive. And I thought about the conversation that I mentioned in the piece here that I had had with a friend a few days ago. And they were telling me they didn't know what to do for dinner because they didn't want to go to all this effort of cooking just for themselves. And I remembered how confused that made me at first. And then I started thinking, well, I love cooking for myself, but when I look at you know TV shows, movies, and even these advertisements that I'm seeing online, it's really painted as something depressing to do, especially I think for, for women as something that is somehow wrong or in place of these ideas that women should be cooking and providing and, and nurturing more than one person. And that's really what inspired me to sit down and, and think about this idea of cooking for one as really a microcosm of learning to be independent and learning that just because society says that a certain activity or a certain way of life isn't 
happy or isn't, you know, the, the correct way to be, you can still find joy in, in being on your own and finding that independence. So that's really where I, I came at the piece from and trying to capture that sincerity, but also that humor in it.